1: cryptocurrency three guys faded talking bitcoin no fee that's the free bitcoin podcast insane and adoption is still the only thing 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 that matters main
2: hey everybody welcome to the bitcoin podcast episode number 138 I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D.
0: And I'm host number 16, Corey.
3: Where did our 16. other uh, 14 hosts
0: yeah, I don't go? Know. They're around.
3: Uh, our entourage. 13 hosts. 13 our groupies. Hosts.
0: We don't have any groupies, do we? I don't know. I would call, I would call some of the Slack members groupies. <laughs> Wait.
3: I feel like if you have to ask that question... Then you definitely don't
0: have groupies, dude. We have some it, people yeah. that hang out in our Slack almost twenty four seven. I, I, I yeah, don't. I don't know of a time that groupies. I can say something. What What else would they be called?
3: Well, they're established members of the community, man. Like, like they one they organize shit. They get everyone talking. Like they're community members. A groupie would be like if a lady, preferably, was like. Where the Bitcoin podcast whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't
0: discriminate. We don't discriminate here.
3: <laughs> we got all kinds of groupies. All, all right. kinds of groupies. If we had ladies, they were on like TBP network stickies on their nippies. Like that would be groupie status. But
0: we're never going to get that because we're a podcast about. Whoa. We, we don't know if we have that because we don't offer those things up.
3: All right. Well, we're going to start
2: selling nippy stickies. So wait, let's let's brand our fans. We call them BTC podheads. I, I like that. Well, you I'm, are the marketer. I'm okay with that. <laughs> you are the
0: marketer. That sounds pretty good.
3: Podhead. Are you a BTC podhead? I thought we branded them Pabs a long time ago. No,
0: Pabs are the people who don't listen to us. Yeah. Ah, yes. Yes. So millions of people. Punk
3: ass bitches. Actually that would be billions of people. Billions of PABs. So
0: many Actually,
2: podcast There was, was probably a PAB born just a second ago. All right, so this is the Bitcoin Podcast, which is part of the Bitcoin Podcast Network. This, this episode is going to be kind of lax with a, a pretty good interview. But tomorrow, we're going to discuss all of that August 1st stuff where we get pretty serious and we'll answer your questions and shine some light in your dark tunnel. Yeah, supposedly the world's gonna end on August 1st. That's what I keep
3: reading. Um, so I hope it doesn't, but apparently that's what's gonna happen.
0: What are y'all so, doing with y'all's money? What are y'all doing with those money for August 1st, or like what's currently happening now up until August 1st, until the repercussions of after August 1st?
3: Um, my, my hardware wallet's spec- back. In Texas, so I can't do much with it from where I am here. So I'm probably just gonna order another one and try and expedite the shipping and just get all my Bitcoin onto there. Uh, I'm probably gonna take a good amount out of Bitcoin and go into some other coin that's actually has its shit together, like either Litecoin or I don't know, Ethereum seems like it's a safe play. Um,
0: now, yeah, here's, a, here's another I'm question. Take a, based, like, based on that, what you're doing now, is it is it an attempt to sideline until you feel comfortable putting your money back into Bitcoin? Or is it one of those things where, like, I'm out?
3: It's the first. Um, Bitcoin is actually too big to fail. I'm, I'm kidding. I couldn't even finish that statement. I couldn't even finish <laughs> that I couldn't even finish saying it. No, no, no. I, I, I full whole. I wholeheartedly put my faith in Bitcoin, and that's
0: I, all you. I can almost do like. I almost like saying. I almost like what you first said. You full whole. You fullheartedly put your faith in Bitcoin.
3: One hundred percent. I'm one hundred percent fully torqued for Bitcoin. And why? Why? What's the what? Why?
0: Why? Yeah. Because proof of work works. Okay. The- there, that doesn't mean anything. A lot of other things have proof of work. Why Bitcoin proof of work?
3: I like the color, orange is a very nice color. It's easy on the eyes, reminds mm-hmm. me of fall, which is my power season. Uh, I love fall, it's my power season. Um, let's see what else
0: about Bitcoin. Uh,
3: you're
0: gonna have to come strong, you're gonna have to. Go hard in the paint here because these these, these, ex- I? I mean, these it's got the explanations got nothing for me.
3: It's got the network effect behind it, so it's a very strong coin right now. Um, I think it's it's up. It's room for like growth from a technological standpoint. It's still to the moon status. I think if we can get past this scaling issue, then, then we've got Segwit. We've got the Lightning Network. Uh, you know, payment channels like i think that getting over this scaling hump is going to lead to some really great things for bitcoin side so, chains so technologically like, all speaking
0: that's... all the things you just mentioned are on other coins already the only thing that bitcoin currently has is the fact that it has the largest mining community and it's the oldest network which means it has the, most like, the chain that has the most proof of work with okay it's the most secured because the mining community behind it is the largest now if something goes wrong with Bitcoin and you have a contentious, diverse split of the mining community, that may no longer be the case. Whereas they, you don't have any of these things that you just mentioned as being a sole point of Bitcoin. It doesn't have anything. It just has the history. And doing things because we used to do it is a
2: terrible reason to do something. Wait, so is, Seg- is SegWit enough or would it require another improvement in the future for Bitcoin to scale? Oh,
0: Segwit. SegWit is a beautiful technology for helping Bitcoin to scale. It, some of what it does helps you know in what? terms of kicking okay, the can better. down the road with helping Bitcoin scale right now. But that's not the point of SegWit. The point of SegWit has a lot of different reasons which, are, which that allow us to actually start to do scaling solutions down the line the minimal amount of headroom that SegWit gives us that releases some of the pressure that Bitcoin currently faces is not enough to be a scaling solution. It's the software upgrades that are enabled because we have SegWit that could possibly have scaling solutions. Now, here's the
3: thing though. The reason why I keep faith in Bitcoin too is because it, if Bitcoin doesn't succeed, do you know the probability of any of those other coins
0: succeeding? Do you know what that drops to? Well, it definitely slows down the adoption curve, right? Slows it slows down, down the timeline. Now, now, we've all we we've said this for a long time. It's possible that when this technology takes off, no one, the end user, doesn't actually know what they're using. They're just they're able to do something they couldn't do beforehand or they can do the same thing they could do beforehand but cheaper and more efficient and faster. And at the end of the day, the end user doesn't care. So if that's the future we're going to we're going to talk about, then who cares what it's called in the back end of what's enabling this type of technology. It's I this it's strong ideology that's pushing forward that people are clutching on to this. This is, this is all my own personal opinion, but it's like people are clutching on to this thing because they need it because it's a vehicle for yes, this belief because, system they have.
3: Because Bitcoin changes paradigms. These other things don't change any paradigms. They what? don't. Ethereum is really cool, but what paradigm does it change? In fact, if anything, all it does is reinforce
0: things that are already in play. Sure. hard too. But... Like, if it, it, if makes it, them it has a like, it it has an easier method for for pushing forward on t- like how it does governance. It it well, could potentially yeah, be I more mean, stable. We don't know, but it's like if we're so young that it's like, is the future going to be called Bitcoin because okay. the past was called Bitcoin? I don't I don't know. I'm not I'm going to say yes. Fact,
3: because of the very fact that if I'm like if I open if I'm a banker and in I'm I'm the local first bank of D, what in whatever random. Uh, uh, country that i'm in and i like oh this ethereum thing's for pretty need i keep hearing about it let me go to like how to start up ethereum and like the very first tutorial was like how to make your own coin if i'm a bank i'm gonna say oh yeah well, i'm clearly gonna take that option and i'm gonna keep peddling the same bullshit that i've peddled for thousands of years that have got me to this point where i'm a super bank and i'm almost unstoppable and i can trick I could trick an entire population into giving me welfare, even though I have trillions of dollars. It's crazy. Like, these other coins don't really – like, Bitcoin can't get hijacked like that. Mm. And so this is – wow, I think this whole thing, like, there's no behavior changes that are occurring with Bitcoin. They They did at first. Right. That's that's that was, was so cool. It's like when I learned how to use Bitcoin, I was like, all right, you've got to learn what private keys are. You've got to learn how to store them. You've got to learn how to sign a transaction. You have to learn actual behaviors and change your behavior to understand this new principle. But a lot of people aren't doing that now. And that's why all this shit is getting confusing. That's why people don't give a damn.
0: Well, this there, is something is- that we preached. We, we preached this early on. and like, But when, when it was more difficult to use this technology, we always talked about we need easier ways to use this technology so we can have this massive on-ramp so that people can have access to this type of thing. Well, guess what? We built that infrastructure, and now it's really easy for people who don't know what's going on to jump into the system. And this is what we've created. And now it's a shit show. And we're we're upset about it. It, like, do we do we I'm do we mad. build a technology that's easier for people to use or do we say fuck off learn how to use a more difficult technology and change your behavior you can't can, can you have both
3: yeah you can but the thing is is that the community this community is like one of the biggest one of the one of the most uh consistent strands of congruency that i've seen is there isn't a single company in this damn community that is going out of its way to educate the users at all like coinbase got a million users in the last few months or whatever the hell they posted on their blog they were basically jerking off to themselves but if you go to coinbase like everyone that i've on ramped they're like hey man like can you show me how to use this stuff and like what's going on? I'm like, damn, that's, that's a perfect opportunity for Coinbase to step in and teach somebody something. It's not like they don't have the resources. They're hawking fees. Like it's going out of style.
0: So whose job is that? It's a small company. It's these businesses that are actually doing the on-ramping. Is it their job to do the education as well? Hell Yeah. Dude, okay. I'm not saying no. I'm asking questions. Like
3: I'm I, saying I, I agree. Hell with you. yes. Hell yes, it's their job to educate them. It, to, it, it, that's, that's your job as a salesperson, as a whatever, if you own a business and you have customers, then you educate your customers. Like that's what do you why wouldn't they want to do that? Why 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 is everyone in this community dropping the ball on that? BitPay, Coinbase, Airbits, Zappo. Fucking maybe they're just trying the, to my, keep maybe? up with the
0: curve, right? Maybe this, this technology moves so fast <laughs> at its current state that the size of the company – Now, I'm speaking from complete ignorance because I don't know how much money they're actually making or how well of an organized, organized team they actually are. But maybe all of their resources and effort is being just trying to keep up with the curve of the pace of this community because it's moving so fast. That they're just like, why would we try and do education right now? Because by the time we come up with something that's decently educating, it's way past that. And it's obsolete. We we got to start from scratch. You
3: know what, man? When I was nine years old, I used to read fables. And my favorite one was The Tortoise and the Hare. You know why? Because if you go slow, you win. Who gives a shit if this shit, if it's moving fast? They need to be taking the time to educate these consumers. They need to be putting forth effort to give tools to the community to go out and educate people. Because people don't understand digital cash. They don't know what that means. Hell, they barely know what cash means. So if you're trying to change a paradigm without educating anyone, like – Imagine if bicycles, when they came around, there was just a bunch of people riding around on bikes and then nobody said, "Okay, this is how a bike works. There is a chain. There are sprockets. You have to upkeep the chain and the sprockets. You have to grease the gears. You have to change the handlebars every now and again. Like, no, people would have used it for like three months and they were like, this thing broke. I don't know what it does anymore. I'm over.
0: I'm out. I had never heard. I had never heard the word sprocket before until just now.
3: I heard it on the Jetsons
2: once. That was the name yeah. of the dog. Was it? Ah, that. there we was go. Was it? I don't think <laughs> that's, that's not true. It could be and they, true. The name of the dog uh, Sprocket. I don't think so. I'm looking at it. We're that Googling out. it right now. I'm Googling that right uh, now. Apparently, Corey is not confident in my Jetsons knowledge. Yeah, Corey's like, I do not. I feel like
0: it was something else. That's why I'm really like. Astro. Looking. Astro. Yeah, Astro is the name of the dog. Astro's the dog. Spro- who's
2: Sprocket then? Um, Did he on- sell Sprockets? Oh, Fraggle Rock, the dog's name was Sprocket. Oh, that's a, that's a, a much more up. esoteric reference. <laughs> you
1: guys
2: want Anyways. to an interview? Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get into the interview.
2: All right, so this week we're talking uh, to Dave Carlson, who's the CEO of Gigawatt. And they're watching the Watt Token. To make cost-effective bitcoin mining available to everybody
1: what? the Watt
2: token sales started a few days ago and it's going to continue until july 31st the watt token holders will be able to mine bitcoin with equipment hosted by gigawatts for 50 freaking years man and in terms of return on investment this looks like a very compelling value proposition so compelling in fact that we invited dave carlson the ceo to chat about it because we desperately need balance of power in the mining space. At least I think we do. So, me and Corey chat with them, and uh, it was very fruitful. Yeah, and like, like, Demetrius just dropped off. So,
0: despite us trying to kind of stay away from the ICO scene, I wanted to talk to people who are doing. I wanted to talk to miners and get their particular perspective, and. Um, most of this conversation is not about their ICO, but more along the lines of the, the kind of the scene
2: of mining and kind of to get a perspective that we don't quite get outside of it. We should specify that you wanted to talk to Bitcoin miners, not Bitcoiners under the age of 18. That, is, kind of ah. that is 100%
0: true. <laughs> nice joke. Nice. I see what you did there, and I appreciate it.
3: Well played, sir. Yeah. Well, without further ado, here's a guy that
2: mines. Here it is. All right, so this uh, this episode is a real treat because we don't get too many miners on the show, and Dave Carlson, he's definitely a a, a big fish. He's the uh, CEO of Gigawatt, which is a, a blockchain hosting and servicing center for mining hardware. Actually, is the world's first full service mining solution provider. And I should reference that Carlson's previous Bitcoin mining firm, Mega Big Power, was acquired by Gigawatt. And I'm sure he brought over a few employees from there and, and they're gonna take everything that Mega Big Power was working on and supercharge it with more capital and a, and a bigger team. So the, the future is, is definitely bright. And I, for one, I'm excited about this interview because, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but you got the Bitcoin in like 2010
4: I wasn't quite that early it was more like 2012
2: 2012
4: Um, yeah uh and and thank you for having me on this on the podcast I, I appreciate you guys um being willing to let me you know sort of talk about the company and what the project is and um we're it's definitely exciting times uh and it hasn't been the easiest path um Mining is not an easy business, Um, so, Mm -hmm. but but uh, but we're trying to do it right, and we're trying to make it. The the gigawatts whole concept is to try to make it so that anybody can mine uh, successfully. And there's, you know, if if you read, if you read about mining online or you read maybe in forums and things, a lot of people have had bad experiences, and that can be that can trace back to a lot of different uh, either mistakes or uh, unfortunate circumstances that they may have um, gotten involved with like the wrong kind of equipment or very expensive power. A lot of people just overlook that aspect of it and power cost is the most important thing that you have to consider if you're going to try to mine long term because you're making an investment in in expensive hardware. And you need that, you need that mining server, that mining uh, device to, to last and be viable for as long as it possibly can. And power costs ends up being one of the, the significant factors that will drive a miner into sort of the you know unprofitable stage where, where you, you might as well shut it off. You're spending more on power than you are than you are getting in value in Bitcoin. And at that crossover point, that's when it makes sense to just sort of turn them off, uh, and, and they're done. Um, uh, you know, th- that's the the key. That's the crux of this whole thing. is It's an economic balance and cheap powers the biggest factor.
2: That's why we stopped. Actually, we were we had a little mining operation. Uh, me and one of the other hosts of the show, uh, according Corey too, um, but it was the the, the cost. Like you said, it just wasn't, didn't make sense anymore to keep it going. And then I, I read that, that quote that you said, where you believe, uh, or you feel that every household in America should have a, a small mining operation. And it kind of almost motivated us to get, get back into it.
4: Yeah. And what I meant by that really was through, what I, what I see gigawatt becoming as an infrastructure provider, basically just a, a large co-location uh, network of facilities that allows people to build, build their mind within our infrastructure. Um, I still want that decentralized control of mining and and the decision making power that comes with that uh, to get that sort of de- democratic vote, you know, uh, with respect to things like the blockchain size, or the block size debate, things like that. Um, but fundamentally when the economics are are tied back to the cost of power you're going to have centralization of the hardware that's unavoidable it's the same same reason you know if the natural resource like say oil is in a particular region you're going to have a concentration of, of the the oil drilling or natural gas drilling or what have you you know in the area where the resource is our our base resources is, is electricity and the cost of that electricity is the lowest here in this region. So naturally, you're going to get this centralization of hardware, which doesn't have to be a terrible thing if the control of that hardware remains decentralized. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, we're, we don't have a gigawatt pool for uh, the different coins that we're, that we're mining, our, our clients are mining. Um, one reason for that is that, we want to give everybody the ability to, to configure their miners to mine for wherever they they want them to, and to signal whichever block size you know vote that they want to signal. Um, and I and I feel pretty strongly. I, I always always want to mention this that centralization of mining isn't really the biggest risk to to Bitcoin and other blockchains. It's the it's the the aggregation of that mining power. So the pools, the, the largest pools or networks of, of large pools that have been broken up into small pools collectively, those are the biggest risk to centralization, not centralized mining.
0: The way I kind of see it is as like, this is also kind of why I like, wanted to discuss this topic with you is, is most of the conversations we have, um, that we find interesting are infrastructure level plays. But when we talk about infrastructure, typically in crypto, we're talking about the actual networks or platforms that people are going to build on. The infrastructure play that you're making is a real world infrastructure play in that you have buildings, cheap electricity. I would imagine cooling, etc. Like the where people go to put hardware. And then typically when you have these types of buildings that, um, Allow for the for these specialized hardware to exist. They're all pointing in the same place. They're all m- moving for the same ideology or, or signaling the right bip or so on and so forth. Whereas what you're saying is no, just we're providing the infrastructure. You point it wherever you want it to go. Is that pretty much correct?
4: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. It, we uh, we have over the years since since those first early days. Um, you know, I used to mine with a set of fpgas that you know what did i i had 12 gigahash, you know and it was considered really large mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it took the size of a of a, a tabletop this was just after um gpus kind of went out of favor and fpgas came in briefly for six six or so months maybe nine months um, and then during that time is when we worked uh, on this chip project which became the the Bitfury 55 nanometer chip. Uh, I was involved in that project, and and uh, the mega big power experiment was let's see if we can go build megawatt scale mines and um, evaluate what design characteristics there needed to be for that to be successful. Some people said on the forums, you know, they, they simply can't be done. You can't put a megawatt in a single facility. It's too much heat. There'd be no way to to deal with it. So this, that was the attempt. Um, it actually started the biggest the sort of initial large push was a project called the 100 terahash project. And that that was a deployment of 100 terahash when the Bitcoin network itself was 100 terahash in total. That's like, seven or eight s9s right now the entire bitcoin network so it, hard to imagine um because the 100 terahash when we deployed it took up a two thousand square foot space and and was you know at the time i guess it was hundreds of mining machines it was thousands of mining boards it was um uh, tens of thousands of mining chips um, and then, very quickly, we scaled from the hundred terahash to the to a petahash, which was uh, a, took up a building uh, that had about a, a one and a half megawatts of power in it. So, uh, during the early days, the the scale or die, um, uh, you know, aspect of this business was was ever more. Uh, apparent and and it's still there today, but I think that the network has you know spread out and the size of the network is so big that a single it's harder and harder for a single entity to just bring 10% more hash rate all at one time or 50% or 100% more hash rate all at one time. So this is where I think the mining industry starts to level out starts to mature we'll, we'll still see a lot of growth and we'll see um the economics of running latest and greatest equipment uh decline as competition comes in um because every time bitcoin price leaps to another level the profitability surges in mining and it attracts a tremendous amount of investment and then that investment it's a little bit of a delayed response. That investment takes a few months to to materialize in into hash rate. And the mentality of the investment is essentially we've made this investment. We will deploy this equipment regardless of the the this current state of the economics at the time that, that the equipment becomes available. And th- this is not our philosophy. This is just what I witness on the on the network. Um, and so in 2014, when, when it was truly a, a massive gold rush, there was essentially overmining. There was There was way more rate deployed to the network than was necessary to, to secure the value of the network at the time. And that resulted in the economics being severely depressed for a couple of years. Um, literally uh, Bitcoin price was flat to decline. For a couple of years or a year and a half and and to to a large extent that was the result of a surplus of bitcoin being produced miners uh were getting economically squeezed to where they would essentially sell all the bitcoin that they mine so there's a lot of new bitcoins being flushed into the market which is actually healthy for bitcoin for all those new coins to not be hoarded uh in a way bitcoin's system uh, essentially promotes this idea that uh the bitcoin miners are producing the coins but they have the fixed cost so they're essentially forced to push that new coin out into the into the ecosystem this is one of the i think most elegant aspects of the way bitcoins um the mining and you know coin supply system of, of bitcoin's blockchain works it's a beautiful thing because i mean if all the miners could just hoard all the coins then we wouldn't really get anywhere
1: Mm -hmm. uh
4: which 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 eventually feeds into that discussion of proof of stake and you know how well does that work
2: Uh, yeah as as much
4: as,
2: as much as i love the fact that cryptos move away from like institutions and businesses i also like the fact that this could kind of help create a more stable network for all of us in case something changes with computing power and whatnot you know, it's an organization like this that seems to have the ability and resources to make pivots when needed in this, uh, you know, it's a rapidly changing field.
4: It is definitely. And we're, we're. I mean, thank God for diversification. Now, at this point, uh, the business has gotten so much more manageable and so much more stable when, when it wasn't just to live or die by the price of Bitcoin and the difficulty of Bitcoin. Um, I love to see, I'm super excited, in fact, about the emergence of real scale GPU mining because a, a reprogrammable compute platform to me makes a lot of sense. You, you essentially take those those GPU processors and you include them in the definition of infrastructure and they're repurposable. So today they're mining, I mean, this is how I look at it. I, the mining coins is like the bootstrap to this giant build out of uh, of compute infrastructure, essentially a, a massive global supercomputing layer on which blockchains deliver apps and services to, to allow for everything from things like coin generation, but also maybe like scientific task processing, um, genome sequencing or um, CGI rendering or weather prediction, a number of, of things that are done now on either private um, parallel processing platforms or supercomputing platforms that are very expensive and very sort of purpose-built. Um, the way I, I see this is completely redefining the way computing can be done I- at massive scale. And, and so that's what really excites me about building what, what gigawatts building is, you know, our, this is our first phase where we're actually building over 50 megawatts of infrastructure in a, in a modular, distributed way. We, we do have a 30 megawatt site that, that is coming up, but a series of sites that are 20, 30, 40 megawatts and, and geographically distributed um, is, is going to contribute to this, this you know, massive parallel computing layer. That we we don't really even know exactly how we'll leverage it in the future, but we know that it's going to be a tremendous value to to blockchain projects that that are proliferating now.
0: I actually come from a, a high performance scientific computing background, um, and like what's what's interesting about the computing power that's raised for things like mining Bitcoin is that um, ASICs can basically only do sha256 and we have all this computing platform that's specifically designed to do this one thing and different networks have different requirements of the hashing algorithm or no, that they that the hardware is built for but they're not really general purpose computing GPUs can do quite a bit of work and so on and so forth so like how do you see your your scale out kind of continue to grow because like if, if the algorithm changes, you still, I guess, have all of the foundational infrastructure, like the the, the, the building, the electricity, and so forth. But um, also with the, I guess, optimization of these ASICs finally meeting Moore's law, so they can't have these orders of magnitude uh, increases in efficiency that we've seen over the past couple of years, uh, do you see like the, the distribution slowly starting to, spread across the world and maybe I don't know, I'm not trying to think of how to ask this question. Like how do you see the, the landscape of mining with it being so very specific on what it can do and also not increasing in efficiency so fast?
4: Well that this this is exactly what I'm sort of looking forward to, at least from the Bitcoin perspective, because like you said about Moore's Law, it's it we we rushed right through all the stages Uh, there's it's probably some other somebody else needs to coin the the phrase or the the new the new name for the law related to how fast we move through crypto phases because basically as soon as there's money to be made somebody's going to be working on a new process node so in bitcoin it was very very quickly very rapidly moved jumped you know leaped from 55 nanometer to 28 to 16 and and now I'm sure somebody's working on 7 but like you said we're 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 getting right there to the edge of what's even feasible and there there you know to the extent that bitcoin goes up and up in the future in price there will always be somebody pursuing the next level of of efficiency gain but it's not 2 and 3x anymore or 5 or 10x anymore it's 30% is the target and a 30 percent more efficient chip does make all the difference when you're running the calculations against um uh, whether you how how long can you run this particular chip um you know will you get your your um engineering expenses back you know doing a chip project is extremely expensive at these process nodes it's probably 20 million dollars to develop a bitcoin chip today that's before you go into production Mm -hmm. so You've got to get it right. and if you if you don't, you're pouring more money in on respins to until you until you reach the efficiency and if you can't reach the efficiency, then there's this huge trade-off. do you do you deploy millions of these chips at you know essentially the way I look at it is if the if the chip is twenty percent less power efficient, it's the equivalent to paying twenty percent more in your power bill. Uh, so, for me, strategically, I mean, it, it's almost hard to ever justify running a less efficient chip. Uh, if you get if you get more efficiency but less stability or less reliability or longevity, then then you can make an argument for running a, a more stable but less power efficient chip. But but usually the you fall in under the most efficient thing that you can run. And I so back to your question, I think that. As the as we reach the limitations of sort of human capability to create massively more efficient chips, we, it it will mature and stabilize because then it becomes a human scale problem of how many of these devices can we even deploy? Um, I think I figured out this was a little while ago, and the network's grown since then. But uh, I figured out like to to what was it? It might have been triple the network today you would need something you you'd need like 400,000 s9s or something you need you need this this ridiculously more and more equipment to continue to grow the network the way it used to grow you you get a new generation of equipment out and the network would double or triple in maybe 6 months and it would ha- it would really uh, dramatically increase difficulty and people's profitability would fall and and miners that they bought you know six or eight months ago looked like they were in trouble already and things like that and i think that those timelines all stretch way out now that it's just that much harder uh to to bring a, a massively more efficient chip and the you know bitcoin is the killer app for for financial exchange of value um, on the gpu side what, what i'd love to see is i'd love what i'm expecting to see over time is to the extent that there's value in primitive HPC, like high performance computing uh, done where there are certain fundamental compute functions that are offered and those turn into kind of a a la carte menu that you choose to build your own super compute layer to do whatever it is, whatever task it is that you're trying to do. As the value of those functions is found through, through these applications that would be offered, an ASIC will be developed for those and and so you'll have your you'll have your ASIC for SHA256 you'll have an ASIC that does floating point or or whatever you you know you'll have these different very highly specialized chips that do nothing but that and they'll take the form of miners mining hardware in this specialized infrastructure and one of the reasons why the infrastructure specializes is because if you compare what when we run a blockchain in a facility versus in a data center data centers are designed around mostly one of their their primary uh, functional tenants is is redundancy so they have you know an enclosed space they they dump a tremendous amount of air uh, air conditioning active cooling into the space they have redundant uh, hardware or equipment for all the air conditioning they have diesel power generation as as backup Um, they have all of these, these, this severe, like redundant stuff and a lot of security because you're holding onto servers that if you can hack that server, you get stuff. Mm -hmm. And then now with blockchain in our infrastructure, blockchains are, you know, inherently fault tolerant. If I go offline, the blockchain continues to work. Everything keeps moving forward. Transactions flow. So we don't, we technically don't need that redundancy. Um, Obviously, I don't like to be down. I don't want to be offline. But but as far as the network continuing to work, no websites go offline. No databases get corrupted. Uh, If somebody were to hack into a facility and get on a miner, there, there's no customer data. There's no identify, identity data. There's no credit card information to take. There's no Bitcoin. Our facilities, it's it's really funny to think, our facilities never have any Bitcoin in them because we send all of, we, we're, we're just simply doing tasks. We're doing work and we're sending that the result of that work off to somewhere else where the Bitcoin gets manifested. So there's such differences fundamentally in how those functions operate that it plays into the 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 actual design of the infrastructure itself the physical facility infrastructure so when you look at the the gigapods that we are building they're they're air cooled there's very little redundancy there's you know there's security but there's not the ridiculous level of security required at, at the data center so there's they're so different the operating cost for say a kilowatt so one thousand watts running over a span of a month if you go to a data center and you say i have this device i want to run it run it for a month with you and it's a thousand watts they're going to ask you for somewhere in the range of 150 dollars um if you come to gigawatt that that can be as it, it can be as low as 55 and that's that's our sort of you know that's what we're offering to host at if you're buying our tokens to cover those thousand watts, you're down at our cost, which is much closer to $25. So when you look at the operational expense of running a blockchain data center, if you will, it's so much lower than what a traditional big box data center runs at, that there's there's sort of, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is, there's an inherent economic pressure to move apps and services to blockchain because it's fundamentally it's cheaper and it can be deployed quicker and and get to scale faster for less money.
0: Yeah. That's something I never really considered actually, because the supercomputers that I worked on were basically the reason why we worked on them was because they had this cooling. They had this certain type of, I guess, compute infrastructure, but the main thing was the interconnect, the network that connected each of the nodes that was super, super, super fast. And that's a lot of what you're paying for along with the security and storage and redundancy that you mentioned earlier. And with blockchain since essentially every miner is its own entity, you, need, you don't need this super fast interconnect and kind of other type of supporting infrastructure required for scientific computing at least. The costs of running something like that are significantly lower but don't exist be- until now because only now has this become somewhat of a Big business that others can see will be around for a long time.
4: Yeah the the, the way Bitcoin bootstrapped its growth is is so elegant. I, I I just love to sit back and think about how you start with nothing. You need to get to scale, and you want to incentivize people to build actual real things like buildings with compute inside them. And you need to make sure that they are willing to spend money on power bill uh, to take the risk to invest in the hardware. So you create this, this concept that just lines up with new money supply and, you, you know, called mining and you create your new coins through that, through that protocol while securing value in the network. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing and it works so well that, uh, I, this is really why we're we're betting that proof proof of work is something that stays around a long time. Eventually, I think it gives either gives way or or allows for the the uh, addition of sort of a proof of useful work, right? Because proof of work is fundamentally just. Arbitrary computing that's measurably difficult so that I can do some in the US and somebody in China can do some and we can both get paid the same and no one's cheating the system but wouldn't it be great if we could use what we we're doing right and and yeah.
0: that's that's a next... difficult problem it's a very it difficult it, problem
4: it's, it's very difficult to parallelize, you know tasking in a way that makes it fair for everybody and so on but Uh, I feel like the models here, the, the framework is set and, and we're, we're starting to see concepts that are, that are addressing this, this kind of approach to compute. And I I do see it as it's super exciting to me because I see it as sort of reinventing, uh, the way humans do large amount of computing. And, uh, I, I get to essentially build or take part in building the, the, the largest, global supercomputer man has ever seen is is how i think of it and that's pretty motivating
2: yeah when people ask you what do you do and that's your responses <laughs> you can't help but feel kind of like a badass
4: actually yeah, uh, maybe i should use that because yeah it, you know, it used to be if you just didn't even want to say bitcoin mining you know or, or bitcoin anything really people would run you out of you know events or whatever but um But, but yeah, putting it in that way, is more (laughs) exciting sounding.
2: Well, uh, Corey, I know you're going to enjoy this next question because we, we get these flood of ICOs and many of these ICOs, they, they have absolutely no value propositions or if they do, it just, it doesn't make sense to raise the millions they have without a product or even a prototype, but gigawatt, you know, they're different. Um, so I guess tell us why, but I also want to add on the footnote to kind of ask you, to tell us a bit about how the tokens can be used actually to rent out computing capacity. I was kind of interested in how that worked.
4: Yeah, we are definitely different. Um, We, we wanted to find a way to sort of export our economics, if you will. Uh, It's really hard to find these, these really good economics In, in my area. The power is the it's essentially managed by, municipal governmental agencies called uh pud or power utility districts and they're funded by taxpayers and they're they're regulated they're mandated to run at the uh essentially they they offer their power to the local businesses and residents for the cost of of production and uh, the cost of production of hydropower is in that two and a half cent per kilowatt hour range so this is a unique um situation and it's it's not common in the world to find places that are essentially not trying to make a profit on that power which blows the economics it doesn't blow the economics but it but it removes that competitive advantage Um, so how to export how to give people access to this kind of uh the economics and and the facilities that we've optimized over the span of four years five years of doing this where you know we we've learned what to rule out and how to approach doing this in a way that makes it as um, economically safe and protected as possible so that people don't um, they don't throw their money in and then six months later eight months later go, oh man you know we're already at at sort of the the quitting point or something so the the concept of tokenizing infrastructure, uh, or or another way to think of it is um, sort of creating a membership to access these uh, this this uh, mining infrastructure at at our cost started to gel and it, and it was um, okay. So what are we going to do? We could tokenize it per watt. So if you need ten thousand watts for your little mine, then uh, you you buy ten thousand tokens and then you get ten thousand watts at our cost and, and our cost is is the, the cost of of operations to our token holders is derived from the baseline power cost plus uh, some additional um, cost of, of maintenance, which is the facility crew um, both maintaining the facility, but also maintaining the miners like watching them 24 seven rebooting them, um, troubleshooting them and, and so forth to keep everything running. mining is not a set and forget hands off type activity. Uh, so, that started to make sense then it then it was just a question of how much do we tokenize because um, obviously we can't run our entire operation at cost and there would be no revenue for us or no no um, profitable income so uh so we the decision was made let's let's tokenize a certain amount of it and then the rest of it um, gigawatt essentially owns and and operates for itself so that's the model and um it's interesting because we see it as an asset-backed token. It's it's a product that you combine with miners to create a mine that's as good as anything I've ever uh, had access to from the early days when I moved over here. So, you know, I, I came over from the Seattle, Washington side. I found out that I had incredibly inexpensive power over here uh, three hours away. So it was sort of a I was very lucky to be an early miner playing around with hardware and software and to find out that i'm regionally like geographically very close to this very cheap power uh that that when you combine all those things you you know it's it's the perfect storm and and you have better economics than china or any of these other operators which lets you be sort of the last man standing and when it comes to mining if you can mine when other people can't you're you, you can essentially weather uh, any kind of economic downturn or or squeeze in in the economics and keep running until things get better again and we've seen that happen a few times in the last
0: few years i want to want to try and turn this just a little bit uh, away from the actual hardware but because we interviewed charlie lee a while back and, he, and Part of that interview, he discussed how he kind of went around to convince a lot of the miners the benefits of, of passing SegWit, which brought to light something that I haven't quite thought about, is that it seems as though the incentive structure of blockchains like Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and Litecoin have aligned themselves in such a way that the people who seemingly have a lot of power and how the governance structure works care the least about Making decisions in that area, so like the people who are just trying to run a profitable business or miners, don't really care about how the governance works as long as they continue to make a profit because they're mainly focused on trying to keep this small margin business running properly. How do you feel about that viewpoint and um, how miners feel as as a miner?
4: Well, I, I think you nailed it. Uh, it's something I've been saying for years at at various you know conferences and and gatherings and things, the round tables and stuff. It's like, you guys are all expecting me as a minor to be totally up to speed on all the different possible theoretical approaches to block size, the block size debate. I'm focused on surviving. Uh, I mean, there are times where, you know, as a, as an early miner, I would go, maybe I would go six months without even getting paid, right? Like truly survival. Um, it definitely goes against what I think the common perception of the early, early miners is, is that this idea that we made all this Bitcoin and we sat on it and we just got rich. And why are we still here working every day and sweating in the mines, right? Hmm. Well, uh, survival is exactly what what it's been at times. And do you think I care uh, whether it's SegWit or, or, well, I do have some philosophically, my approach, uh, my belief is, is is one thing, Um, our clients, and what our clients want is another thing. So if I, if I have a client comes in and wants to support something, um, an approach that goes counter to my, my philosophical uh, belief, I I still honor that, right, I'm still gonna let them configure for whatever pool or,
0: or signal (laughs) power
4: they want. But, but you're you're totally right uh the miners here's the thing, like when I was running um uh my own pool at mega big power um, the it became apparent that larger blocks actually was bad for performance and and this i'm sure uh could be optimized for, and there could be some different approaches in in the pool software to fix it but i I know for me that when some of the early transaction spam attacks, which I think somebody called scaling tests or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it was just transaction spam and you know dumping a ton of transactions of zero value, no fee into the mempool. Like that was really bad. That was crashing my pool. It was costing me money. I was losing blocks or orphaning blocks. So it, it was like, at one point I turned off all transactions except for the one Coinbase transaction that paid me the reward. And I told everybody, screw it. I'm not even gonna process transactions. You now have a miner who's not incentivized to actually do the job they're supposed to do. They're just creating new coin. And so it was like, I was trying to illustrate that that like miners care about survival because they have the fixed costs. They have to pay the bills. I've got gigawatt now. And it's not an inexpensive thing to support Uh, that that's, you know, fundamentally at the end of the day, I felt that we shouldn't change the block size at all because after all the block size increase is simply uh, a stalling mechanism because we're going to be maxing out theoretically, we're going to be maxing out the block size again in in a short amount of time after the, after we expand the block size. So we need a way to do this in a smart way and, and, but not to the detriment of the miners and the, the functional like performance of the pools and the propagation time of the blocks and all these aspects that were essentially not very well known and tested or understood. It was just somebody had an arbitrary idea. Let's expand the block size to X. Well, how do I know that that isn't going to completely take me out? And believe me, at the time, especially when you're running your own pool and you're not, I wasn't very big. It's just a few megawatts if I miss two blocks in the span of say 10 days, it it was like, okay, I can pay my power bill, but I probably don't have any profit this month. So, and it's not hard to miss a couple of blocks if you're running your own pool and you're small. Mm -hmm. So this was, this was, you're totally right. Like miners are, they're just focused on getting their money back, trying to make their Bitcoin for cheap, How much do they care about block size? They care about it to the extent that they'll continue to make money. Bitcoin itself is built around a concept of if you want to get consensus on a topic, incentivize the miners to put their hash rate towards a new node, a new a new version. So I always felt that the block size debate is solved when someone puts up a version that makes me more money. Fundamentally, that's how it works. And that's why the blockchain debate hasn't been resolved and why we haven't gotten consensus.
0: It's definitely a difficult problem that each individual lens outside of mining has different incentives or purposes for doing the things they want to do. And they may not consider the like the actual difficulty that miners may face based on their implementation because they don't even think about the cutthroat nature of the small exactly. margin business that miners actually do. And aligning those incentives is incredibly difficult, which we've now seen kind of play out on a grand stage in this scaling debate.
4: Right. And and maybe impossible, right? Like for certain topics, for the topic of block size, um, if let's say you had... A version of bitcoin that was um, all clogged up and no transactions were moving and and fees were not being made uh, although fees are not so important these days let's just say that that miners were having trouble making any money mining bitcoin but then a new the new version of bitcoin is available and everybody's making their money over there and it's got uh, some sort of maybe expandable block size or dynamically scaling block size then everybody switches to that. Miners are so fickle that they will switch to they'll switch from one pool to another if there's you know two percent more revenue to be had over the over on this other other side. Even though they're ignoring the, the the fact that it takes time to to realize revenue, so you switch from one thing to another. It's still days before that mm-hmm. the, the results of that mining. Um, reach you and in that meantime things can level out or get worse So it's it but it still happens miners are switching constantly seeking Just the extra little advantage and uh, they would they would quickly switch to a version of um, Bitcoin that that could make them a little bit more money Re- Really honestly regardless of what <laughs> of what the solution offered was Well,
2: they uh- I think that might be all the time that we have, but I wanted to give you an opportunity. If there's anything that we missed, if there's anything that you felt strong enough to touch upon, um, you know, to bring it up or uh, maybe plug any upcoming special events that we can uh, kind of get the word out.
4: Yeah, I, well, um, you guys. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but I, I'm uh, I'm headed off to London tomorrow uh for fintech week or tail end of fintech week and then going into barcelona so definitely i put it out there if anybody's going to be in those two cities to reach out to me um at gigawatt and uh try to try to set up maybe a meeting if you guys want to have a discussion i'd love to talk about what gigawatts project is and in barcelona i'll be presenting what gigawatt is doing um to try to uh, you know demonstrate to people how Mining is a way to acquire your Bitcoin for significantly cheaper than market rates, and there's some great strategies around doing it that way. And uh, we feel like we have a really unique offering with our with our token. Um, I feel like the the uh, token sale, the crazy token money raises that we've seen, um, they're they're you know when those go away, we'll still be strong we'll still have a real hmm. value proposition here to offer people
2: sure so i'm gonna i'm gonna tweet this out and then people can uh have an opportunity to kind of contact you and and this That's will great. go up in the next weekend for sure so oh, thank you uh, the, the very last thing that i wanted to ask you is, is the same question we we pretty much ask all our guests and uh in 10 words or less can you describe the blockchain
4: huh well, to me, the blockchain is a is a peer to peer database that can be utilized for transactional data, uh, but more and more so, finding ways to to even store document type data. Um, the fundamental mechanism is this idea to incentivize people to run computing power. Uh, on this peer-to-peer system, by giving them this digital asset, digital token, with which they hope the value is representative of, of what it, whatever it is that they're. Con- oh, this is ten words or less, though.
0: I'm gonna <laughs> have to say you went over ten words there, but you're <laughs> nailing the the, the core never, <laughs> the core value prop here.
4: <laughs> never ask me a ten words or less question. <laughs> Super elegant peer-to-peer database that. Yeah, I'll awesome. we'll take it
0: will we'll take, take that. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. All right, thanks. I appreciate your time and, and that kind of the unique perspective that I don't think a lot of people quite get um, when when reading about things or trying to figure out how to, how to look at this stuff. Like looking at yeah. this stuff through the eyes of of miners and what they're trying to do is an important aspect of figuring out how we move forward and how all this fits together. So thank you for your time.
4: Hey, thanks for your time, guys. Definitely appreciate the chance to be on the show and and. Uh, I'll be looking forward to um, to listening in on it in the future. Maybe meet you guys.
2: Oh, for sure. You're welcome back anytime.